Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. In each episode, I present a small batch of a theory and practices behind building a high-velocity software organization. Topics include DevOps, Lean, software architecture, continuous delivery, and conversations with industry leaders. Now, let's begin today's episode. I'm doing something different on small batches this week. I've put together a series of episodes called The Salt Side Chronicles. These episodes tell the story of business agility, technical debt, the fabled ground-up rewrite, and the proudest and most frustrating moments in my career. It's a case study on the different aspects of software delivery from team topologies to software architecture and business agility. This is a five-part series. A new episode will drop each weekday. Think of this as my Christmas present to all of you. New interviews and solo episodes will be back in 2021. So this series of episodes is the last you'll hear from Small Batches in 2020. Now with that out of the way, let's begin our journey through the Saltside Chronicles. I started working for Saltside in 2014 as a general purpose Ruby developer. I believe the company had been around about two years at that point. Their product development team was quite small. We all shared a single room in one office. There were about a dozen developers and about half that on the product side. SaltSide made classified sites for buying and selling mostly secondhand goods in developing markets. Their business strategy was to capture the market by offering a high quality and free classified service, and then roll out paid and premium services when their position allowed. Eventually, they'd be the go-to classified site for that country. Also note that they entered markets where there was not strong existing competition. They launched their first site in Sri Lanka called Ikman well before I joined. Their strategy was working well in Sri Lanka. They were in the top 10 sites nationwide. Also note that the top 10 sites are relatively consistent across countries. Google and Facebook are always in the top along with a local news site and a classified site. So if SaltSide broke into the top 10, this was great news for them. That guaranteed the site received constant traffic and captured more market share. SaltSide was not offering paid or premium services at this point. This startup was still in the growth phase. SaltSide planned to launch two new markets right around when I joined. This was Tonaton in Ghana and Bikroy in Bangladesh. These were both great indicators for the company. One thing that always surprised me about this company was the complexity of the business domain. I always thought that, well, you just have a title, description, some photos, and contact information. What else do you need? Well, that wasn't the case. The problem domain was much more complex than that. It took me years to truly understand the depths of the domain and why it was that way. Now, I don't know if the product owners, executives, or engineers set out to create the system that they did, but the outcome is highly interesting to me. I wish I could have been there for the genesis moments that led to the system I started working with, but I digress a bit for now. We'll definitely come back to this. You see, the engineering team created what you could call a CMS for classified sites. All three of these markets and any future markets all use the same code base and the same servers. The quote market functionality came through what was called quote config. This config was the heart of the system's complexity. It included all the locations for each market, the categories, and most importantly, all the details of what required an ad to be posted, what fields were required, what to call those fields, what units some of those fields could have, and the list goes on and on. 
This led to what I called the quote, multi-product product. This is different from multi-tenant because each tenant would share the same logic, just maybe different infrastructure. SaltSide was different in the sense that every bit of internal business logic required at least two parameters. The config, meaning the market and all the config I just mentioned, and the entities in question. You see, config was pervasive throughout the entire system. It was truly global in the sense that nothing could happen without config. Request processing couldn't even begin without the config. My guess is the team set out to build something like this to give product owners and market managers more control over the product in their market. This is a great idea from the dev team. Stay out of the critical path and allow people on the front lines to tweak the knobs. So if a team from market A wanted to customize it, well then just point them to the admin dashboard for market A. No need to contact the engineering team, you know, just self-service. Well, that grand vision never materialized. Instead, engineering was on the critical path for any of these config changes. That's much to the chagrin of the product owners because they were frequent, important to the business, and a pain in the ass for the engineering team. That's a recipe for a bottleneck if I've ever heard one. Put a flag in this topic because we will definitely revisit it in future episodes. So for now, just know that SaltSide was a classifieds business that operated different sites on a quasi-CMS. Things worked and the business was progressing. Let's move forward in time now. My first real task was to add the first paid feature to the product. This required integrating with all the existing code and creating a new service to handle payments. This would be a new service because the bounded context was entirely different than the existing ones. Plus, it had different access requirements. There was the user-facing payment flows and the internal-facing admin dashboard. Also, each market had different payment providers requiring different integrations. All this made it much easier to do as a Greenfield project instead of building it into the existing code bases. The payment service was also separated perhaps by magic from the config requirements. This was due to the fact that the payment service did not need to know about ads or any other entities. It just needed to know the market so that user-facing apps could query it for payment methods. This also changed the user-facing apps a bit. They assumed that config was globally available state. Payment providers were different. It had to be queried and loaded explicitly when needed. So the payment service launched and the first paid features went into production. This was a milestone for the company because it was the first time they had ever had any revenue. I felt lucky to be the engineer behind this feature that moved the company along the way to profitability. All right, so things are still moving in the right direction for SaltSide. What's the next step? The next step was a mobile app. Recall the timeline. This is right around the end of 2014. You may be thinking, how did you not have an app? Well, the answer is the business didn't need one. The market SaltSide operated in were still adopting smartphones. Feature phones and dumb phones like those old Nokia brick phones were prevalent. Mobile internet access wasn't that great either. Plus, smartphones were simply prohibitively expensive in these markets. But times were changing. Smartphones, thanks to Google Android, were penetrating developing markets. Internet access improved. And more importantly, competitors had mobile apps. And the fact of the matter is that people just seemed to like apps better. They provided a nicer experience for classifieds products. Users could take a photo on their phone and immediately post their ad. Compare that to posting an ad on a computer. Users would use their phone to take the photos, then copy the photo to the computer, then create the ad on their browser. 
Subpar for sure. I know I feel that way whenever I had to use classified sites, and I don't think other people are different. The CEO announced to the development team the next objective was to launch a mobile app. This scared the hell out of me. I'll talk much more about this in a later episode, so let me give you the highlights for now. The essential problem was that there was no API. You see, the existing user-facing applications were server-side rendered. The various backends, and I use that term loosely, communicated through a common library and shared database. There was no API for core business functions like getting config or posting an ad or even searching for ads. This was a mismatch of things that barely fit for the current purpose, let alone for a mobile app. In short, there was just no way we were technically ready for supporting an app from the engineering side nor from the product design side. So what to do? The business case for the app is clear, and engineering can't deliver without major architectural changes. So there we were, just stuck. We certainly didn't want to cross the Rubicon of a rewrite. Instead, we decided to create a new shell around all the existing bits that could be called through an API. This required thinking about how data flowed through the system, how config was handled and represented, and a ton of other stuff. We would build this shell as a translation layer and then figure out how to hook it up to everything else. This was more or less my responsibility. There were no clear titles in SaltSlide at this point or anything like that. We were only something like a dozen engineers told at the time, so I effectively stepped into some mismatch of lead developer and architect role for what the system was evolving into. As far as I could tell, that role hadn't existed up until this point even if it was just in name only. I think that's a factor in how the system became what it did. There wasn't a person with a high-level vision for the architecture and its fitness for current and future business requirements. There wasn't a person who could connect the product owner's requirements to the underlying software. In short, there was no one in the architect's elevator. That's a reference to a specific book. Find a link to that one in the show notes. So even if we solved all the technical problems, we did not have the skills required to build a mobile app on staff. We were a small development team who had only built web applications, so it was contracted out to a development firm in Sweden. I was the contact point for their development team. I'm not sure what your experience has been with these type of projects, but this one did not go well because the requirements were not known up front. You see, building this mobile app was really about discovery for us. We needed tight collaboration with product owners to actually create the UX and higher integration with the development team to make it all happen. We were able to get something going, but it was certainly not going to complete in the contractor model. However, this did allow SaltSide to complete what was effectively a very expensive spike. We discovered some requirements from the app side and gained more insight into the API side. Then something happened out of the blue that changed SaltSide forever. SaltSide merged with another subsidiary of the parent company. This doubled the size of the engineering team and provided the much-needed engineering skills in-house to build the mobile apps. We went from having zero mobile engineers to having enough engineers to build an Android and even an iOS app. We got more designers too. And more importantly, the co-founder of that company became SaltSide's first CTO. The lead engineers of the web and mobile applications at that company became my peers. This put me as a lead of the backend team. We handled all the APIs and infrastructure that the web and mobile teams needed to build their apps. The mobile team handled Android and iOS. 
the web team handled user-facing and internal-facing web applications. All three of us reported directly to the CTO. Naturally, mobile app development moved in-house based off the prior art created by the local development firm. Next point is a key part of our story. Now, I don't know exactly when or how this happened, but what was intended to be an Android app transformed into a complete ground-up rewrite of the entire product. You see, initially the plan was to just launch an Android app and build the API to support that. Then it morphed into launching an Android app, an iOS app, and completely redesign desktop and mobile web, and even update to the internal user-facing admin application. SaltSide effectively halted any new features and put 100% of their resources into launching, quote, SaltSide 2.0 that would define the company for years to come. More on this in part three of the series, which dives into the business and product side that resulted in the ground up rewrite. Let me talk a little bit about the platform team's role in the rewrite and what we were dealing with. SaltSide was a Ruby on Rails development team. Unfortunately, they fell into all the traps that most Rails applications do. Just search for monolithic Rails application and you'll find plenty of horror stories. Part of SaltSide's problem was the lack of internal boundaries and architectural consistency. There were a handful of services at this point too. There was a payment provider service I mentioned earlier. There was a monolith that served the user-facing desktop web application and a ton of other internal business logic. There was a mobile web service that served the feature phone and mobile web website. It communicated back to the monolith through a shared code library instead of defined network APIs. Then there was the config service, which was basically a database as a service. There was also the admin service that handled the all-important internal ad review process and the customer support application for internal users. This service communicated with the monolith through a shared database. Plus, there was a single instance of all these services that served traffic for all other markets. That made scaling weird and operations weird because one highly active market could crash the others. And believe me, that did happen. My job as lead of the platform team was to define a single API that could be used to build all the user-facing applications and a set of services to support internal operations. Moreover, we had to architect it in such a way that allowed the backend team to grow, iterate, and scale the system to support current and future market requirements. This meant completely re-envisioning the current set of highly coupled services into something more akin to a distributed system. Episode 4 in this series takes a deep dive into this effort. It's a case study in its own right on defining service boundaries and contexts. It's hard to say exactly when the project started, but it was clear when it ended. This whole thing took about nine months. It was the biggest challenge of my career to date, and it was also the most rewarding. It was sure sweet to flip the switch on the new system and see an entirely new product come online. Everyone in the company was overjoyed on that day. The rewrite had finally finished, the company finally had an app, and more importantly, SaltSide was set up to thrive for years to come by paying back mountains of technical debt. I felt my time at SaltSide had ended. I interviewed someone towards the end of this entire project who I did intend to replace me. So with the rewrite complete and the next lead of the platform team lined up, it just felt natural to exit stage left. I felt I'd done all that I could for the company, plus the rewrite had taken a severe toll on everyone involved, as rewrites tend to do. 
Plus, I was living in Sweden at the time, working for Saltside in Gothenburg. I'd been abroad for about four years, and it felt like time to make a change in my life. I wasn't ready to go back to the States, but I was ready to go somewhere else. You know, the rewrite took about nine months, so that was all of Swedish winter, as if that's such an uplifting time was spent on the rewrite. Many dark days and nights were spent hammering away in Vim and pondering software architecture. It was fitting that the project shipped just when spring turned into summer. I was very happy to be outside in the sun with a beer. Summer in Ibiza called my name, so I decided to quit. I tell you though, life is funny. It can take you in directions that you never expected. It was time to tell my boss that I was resigning. I reported to the CEO at the time. I checked my email before walking to the office like I always did. He had called an emergency all-hands meeting at 9 a.m. What could it be? Well, it was a bombshell. The CEO had hired a new CTO. The company was opening an office in Bangalore, India. Saltside would now have two product development centers, the current one in Gothenburg and another in Bangalore. This would position the development team closer to the markets. The new CTO would be based in India. Talk about something out of left field. I think it caught everyone by total surprise, especially given that we had just finished the rewrite. I asked the CEO if I could speak to him right after the meeting. I told him I planned to turn in my resignation this morning, but this new India thing piqued my interest. You know, after all, it was somewhere else. He asked if I'd meet with his CTO, who was in town this week, to meet everyone and discuss his vision for the company. Well, the TLDR of it all was I agreed to move to Bangalore and work alongside the CTO to bootstrap a new product development center. The decision wasn't made that day. It did take a week or so of discussions to agree to it. That wasn't at all what I planned. I figured that I would resign, move out of Sweden, and instead I was staying on, got sort of a promotion, and moved to India. I thought I was ready for something new, but hey, I was young and had been to India before. It sounded like a fun and new challenge. That decision turned out to be a powerful one. I worked for Saltside in Bangalore for another two and a half years. I met my future wife there. I hired and trained an entire crop of engineers. I saw the architecture created during the rewrite scale to new technical and business requirements. I saw Saltside succeed and grow. That was the most rewarding aspect of that time in my career. I felt vindicated and encouraged by the long-tail effects of the software architecture choices I made during the rewrite. But all that is a story for another time. So now you have the gist of the story. Let me recap. The Saltside Chronicles covers the story of a company who needed to launch a mobile app but couldn't because of technical debt and eventually turned to a complete ground-up rewrite to solve that problem. It was a solution no one wanted but ultimately worked out. It's a case study on software delivery and business. That's what's covered in subsequent episodes. There are four more episodes in this series. The next episode, episode two, covers technical debt and the other factors that block the critical business requirements of launching an app. Episode three covers the scenarios and factors that ultimately culminated in the decision to complete a ground-up rewrite. Which, just as a disclaimer, you'd never ever want to do this, and I never want to do it again. Now that that's out of the way, we can continue. Episode four covers the logic and technical decisions behind splitting the monolith into a small distributed system. Like I said earlier, this is effectively a case study in its own right. 
Episode 5, the last episode, is a retrospective on this entire process through the lens of everything I've learned since then. The Saltside Chronicles is part cautionary tale and success story. The company is still around and turned their first profit a few years ago. The person I hired to replace me is now the CTO, so things seem to be just swimming along. Nevertheless, there are valuable lessons to mine from this experience. These episodes tell the story of how I became, well, me. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if not for my time at Saltside. The people I worked with and the project sent me down this path of software delivery and business. My journey started by experiencing it firsthand when technical debt called and loudly said, nope, you can't do that, and blocked the business. So join me at the same time tomorrow for the next episode of the Saltside Chronicles, Technical Debt Calls. That wraps up this batch. Visit smallbatches.fm for the show notes. Also find Small Batches FM on Twitter and leave your comments in the thread for this episode. More importantly, subscribe to this podcast for more episodes just like this one. If you enjoyed this episode, then tweet it or post it to your team Slack or rate this show on iTunes. It all supports the show and helps me produce more small batches. Well, I hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Are you feeling stuck trying to level up your skills deploying software? Then apply for my software delivery dojo. My dojo is a four-week program designed to level up your skills building, deploying, and operating production systems. Each week, participants will go through theoretical and practical exercises led by me designed to hone the skills needed for continuous delivery. I'm offering this dojo at an amazingly affordable price to small batches listeners. Spots are limited, so apply now at softwaredeliverydojo.com. Like the sound of small batches? This episode was produced by Podsworth Media. That's podsworth.com.